2. And if you'll take your Bibles and stand together, uh, we'll read that passage. I'll read it out loud if you'll follow along with me in your heart. And uh, just trust the Lord that He has a word for us today about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from His Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again He, that is Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that He was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even, to, not even near the door. And He preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could no longer come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise. Take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit now that you would be our teacher, you would be our guide, to open our hearts and our eyes to what we see here in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to understand the message and the lesson that we have in your perfect, relevant, eternal word, the word that is individual for each one of us as well. And so, Lord, we open those eyes, we open those hearts, we want to receive all that you have for us today. We want to bless you with our lives as we look to your word, we look to our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Please be seated. The title of the message this morning is Faith Breaks Through to Jesus Christ. And it was a little bit of, of a stretch for me. Normally, I, I don't have titles. Um, and so uh, Pat asked me to have a title. So I, I thought, well, that's, that's appropriate. That'll work. And I, and I can appreciate that because that really sums up what we see in this passage. And thinking of that, that, that faith that breaks through, obviously there's a situation that needs something to break through. And maybe you have been a person, or maybe you have known a person seemingly trapped in a difficult situation of sin, or, or what appears to be even an insurmountable addiction of sort. I mean, that's very, it's very prevalent in our society today. A person who, who may have sometime or another said something along the lines of, if, if I could just have a breakthrough in my life, then I could get past this. If, if something miraculous would just happen in my life, if, if this or these things came about and this happened and these doors opened up, I could walk through and everything would be different. Maybe you've said something like that or you've heard someone say something along those lines. That's the scenario we have in Scripture today. Maybe you've spoken those words yourself, maybe even recently. I've spoken to many people who have told me how sin has crippled their lives, so they feel paralyzed. I've spoken to many 
an addict, be it drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it might be, who have said such things. I have a, a background in, in law enforcement, and that's always an interesting topic between Pastor Pat and me. He has kind of a background in crime. And so we get along well. We have some great, not, he wasn't a bad criminal, not comparably. But I have a, that history, and um, some of the people, and a lot of the people I used to run into, they would have these addiction problems, and so they turned to crime. Some of the, the confessions and some of the conversations that I would have with the people in the back seat as I went out to the jail to bring them to their uh, temporary staying place, they would always come up, uh, about the same thing. If I just had a breakthrough, I wouldn't have to do this. If there was just a miracle in my life, if, if that one thing would happen, this would all be different for me. I've also spoken to very good men and women struggling with their marriage who have said these sort of things. If something could just happen. And I've spoken to normally responsible people in today's world, today's economy, said, uh, who have just been crippled by a financial ruin who have uttered these words. Well, all this to say there's an answer for that cry. There is an answer for that cry. No matter who it, who it is or when it is or when they've said it, there is an answer. And not to be overly simplistic, but determined to pl- state the very plain truth regardless from God's Word, Jesus has provided the breakthrough for the attic. Amen? Some of the former addicts will kind of say amen. Amen. Jesus has provided the one thing that changes everything for everyone. Jesus has provided the miracle for the forgiveness of sins and healing. How can I say this? I'm looking at a great example right from our scripture today. It's right from God's word, from the word of God in our hands today. We see in this gospel, according to Mark, that Jesus has done this. In our passage today, we have this fascinating account of a life-changing breakthrough of a man crippled with sin and a breakthrough because faith placed in Jesus. The faith that he, along with his friends, placed in Jesus. Let's look at the scene now as recorded in Mark's gospel, noting noting first what's happening in this house. Notice in verse 1, Jesus is in Capernaum again. And again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Now Jesus, if you've been following there, if you know the Gospel of Mark, he was, he was earlier in Capernaum. He was at Peter's house. And in Peter's house lived his brother Andrew and also with Peter's wife and his mother-in-law. Now if you, if you, if you look back and you know chapter 1, it gives us some history. But because of some of the things that are happening, Jesus temporarily left Capernaum and now we see him coming back. The house of which we speak, uh, we presume is still the house of Simon and Andrew. We don't know. It just says the house... But this was an important place. This was an extremely significant house. This was a happening house, if, if you'll allow me to use that term. Some of you will, some of you won't. But I did anyways. There it is. This was a happening house. Already, as, as I mentioned, Jesus had miraculously healed Peter's mother-in-law from a deadly fever as she lay in her bed, desiring to serve. She couldn't do anything. Jesus healed her. And as the word spread of Jesus' presence in the house, the whole city that first time gathered together at the door to see Jesus. And upon coming to Jesus at the house, He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and He cast out many demons from people. And as we see in our passage today, there's this common occurrence when Jesus came to Capernaum thus far in His ministry. Jesus would come to Capernaum, 
and people would come to Jesus. And it would happen over and over again. And they were filling the places where he was. And also we see that people were being brought to Jesus. What's more, we see people with an undaunted, determined desire for the Lord Jesus coming to him. And you know what? You'll never find anywhere in the scripture that Jesus ever disappointed anyone who came to him. You will not find it. Everyone who came to the Lord Jesus Christ with their desire and a, a true sense of faith and longing for him, they were always satisfied with the Lord himself. Why did people come? Well, because Jesus preached the word of God and displayed the power of God and the authority of God because Jesus is and was God then. Granted, not all received or believed him to be the son of God then. They thought him a great healer. But they certainly could not deny his power and authority as displayed through the gospel. So Jesus is the same today. So as we begin this account, I wonder, is the desire for Jesus the same today? Do people still long for him like they did in our account today? Are people still coming to Jesus today? Moreover, are, are people still being brought to Jesus today? Are there people with an undaunted, determined desire to see Jesus and to get to him? And, and again, why would they? Because Jesus is still the word of God and the power of God as the son of God. The Bible teaches, uh, the, the Bible teaching churches uh, such as this one, I know that Pat speaks of the life, the ministry, and the person of Jesus Christ straight from the word of God. Are you seeing people come to Jesus? That should be happening. I believe it is. Are you bringing people to Jesus? Oh, there's a whole other question now, isn't it? Now that falls right in our laps, doesn't it? Are we bringing people to Jesus? And are we aware of people who have a desperate need to, him, to, to come to him so crippled by their sin, so crippled by their situation that they really can't do anything, just waiting for someone to come alongside someone like you and I to come and say, hey, let me introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something amazing and life-changing happens when people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened when he walked on this earth. It happens still today. Do you believe that? If you do not believe that fully, that may be what's preventing you from bringing anyone to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, you won't bring people to the Lord. And that's not a, that's not a scenario as his disciples that we want to live within. Notice in verse 2. Notice the response again to Jesus in Capernaum as he's there immediately. Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And what did Jesus do? He preached the word to them. So the same scenario as when Peter's mother-in-law was healed existed now again in this house this house I believe of Peter and Andrew people were everywhere packed in the house and beyond that now we read there's no way to receive anyone there's not a, a smidge of room just cram another person this standing room only plus except for a certain group was sitting we'll see here in a moment not even near the door surely not four men carrying a paralytic on their bed they're not going to get in this house they're not getting through the door. They can't even get near the door. 
And I suspect this may have not been the first time that these unidentified men of great faith, it may not be the first time they had tried to bring their friend to the Lord Jesus. And I, I speculate and I ask, you know, had they possibly come that first Sabbath night after the Sabbath was over and everyone gathered to Peter's house? Had they come and, and were turned away because of the crowd that first time? Possibly. Did that experience affect their actions, what we see now when uh, Jesus returned to the, to the house in Capernaum? Possibly. The fact remains, there were more people at the house than ever before so that whoever came this day, they couldn't even get near. You couldn't even, you couldn't even probably see Jesus, much less, see Jesus, much less hear Him. It was that many people. So there's the four with the man on the pallet, the bed, whatever you want to, carrying Him. So let's set him, our focus aside for, on them uh, just a second, set us aside and let's observe what one does when people gather together in mass to Jesus. What do you do? What does a person do? What should happen? Well, again, look with me at verse 2 again at the end. Notice what Jesus did. He preached the word to them. You know how much I appreciate that? More than I can say. I, I particularly appreciate this aspect of the Lord Jesus. Well, I appreciate every aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ, as I believe you do as well. But as a pastor, and I know your pastor, I'm so blessed by Jesus to what He does here. With all these people flocking to Him, all these, the popularity, His fame at almost His highest, at least in Capernaum, all these people continually gathering together at the house where He was, what did He do? He preached the Word to them. Please note what Jesus did not do. You won't find it anywhere in the text there. He did not speak of the tyranny of Rome and the evil civil authorities. He did not complain about the government or gun control. He did not speak about the problem of bullying or social maladies of the day. Many of them there were. Jesus did not try to entertain the masses as they came to Him. He did not make the meeting all about health and wealth and prosperity. He did not speak about the best way currently psychologists say how to overcome your fear or how to manage your money or how to improve your marriage or how to win friends and influence enemies or how to live your best life now. He did not do those things. Those topics are far too common coming from pulpits today and being presented as the Word of God, and they are not the Word of God. And preaching these topics, it's all backwards. Jesus did and did and would not do that to people who came to Him. Jesus preached the Word of God to the people who came to Him. For in doing so, they would indeed know and learn by the Holy Spirit from His words. They would, they would learn by that Holy Spirit working within them how indeed to overcome fear, how to overcome anger, how to manage their money, and how to improve their marriage, etc., etc., etc. Jesus preached the Word. And I appreciate, again, that the Word of God is preached here in Manteca. I've witnessed it for myself. I've snuck in on some of your service unawares. Maybe you didn't know it, but we were here. And I appreciate this. There's so much, uh, so much in common from what we have going on in, in Livermore. The same, same sort of uh, very welcoming, loving atmosphere. And it's not because we're particularly clever, is it? It's because of the love of Christ in us and the Word of God preached. That's what's happening. And that's what, that's what sustains. That's what God blesses. Notice now in verse 3, 
This house church meeting, it's about to get really dramatic for something is about to happen during the preaching of Jesus, which no one in that house could ignore. We see there in verse 3, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now we observe here in verse 3 that they came to him. Now we're back to these men that we mentioned earlier, at least four of them. There may have been others who, come, who came to see uh, what was going to happen. They see four men carrying a paralytic on a bed or a pallet, and they know that he's going in the direction of Jesus. Something's going to happen. That might draw a crowd. That might have a few people saying, you know what, I'm going to follow them and see what goes down with this. So the they is at least the four men, and they're carrying this paralytic man on his bed. Again, I suggest this may have not been the first attempt to get to Jesus, but you have to appreciate, you have to note their determination, their resourcefulness, their innovation, and that all of it showed that one way or another they were going to get their friend before the Lord. Who are these four? We don't know, do we? They are unnamed as the Holy Spirit would have it. What do we know? Well, they were fearless, they were courageous, they were clever, they were undaunted, they were innovative, they were resourceful, they were determined, they were driven, they were full of great faith that Jesus would make the difference in their friend's life. They were not named. They were unnamed men who who would do anything and anything they needed to do. They were not concerned either about the traditions of the day and what the proper decorum may or may not have been to enter into that house meeting. They, they, were, they were entering right in the middle of a service, so to say, and they didn't care so much for that. They were going to get their guy to Jesus. And when faced with a challenge to do that, what do they do? They ripped off the roof. They literally ripped off the roof. I love that passion. Don't you love that passion? Jesus loves that passion. Where's, again, where's that sort of passion today? Do we have it? Is it in us? Is it, is it in, in, in our world today, a passion to get our friends to Jesus? Is it gone? Are, are, are people ripping off the roof of places, so to say, to get their friends to Jesus today? We surely should be. Are we bringing those with the greatest needs in this world before Jesus? Are, are we determined to do so no matter what challenges may stand before us? Here's a question that's so far into our passage for all of us to let roll around in our hearts and let the Holy Spirit do with it what He will. Have I brought anyone to Jesus lately? We don't face nearly the challenges that these four guys did. It's easy to bring people to Jesus today. The doors are right there. They're wide open. You simply have to come. You might have to pick them up, but it's easy relatively to bring people to Jesus. I feel a strong sense of shame and conviction from the Spirit of God when I read of these four men compared to myself and their desire to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I fall short in this. Because there are people paralyzed by sin in their life and they need to be brought to Jesus. People like this paralytic. Who was this guy? Again, we don't know his name. Scholars speculate his paralysis was likely caused by a sexual disease which he had contracted because of his life of immorality and sin. 
They believe this man was likely not always paralyzed. And again, this is the scholars. I, I don't know their names. I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. They cite the fact that when Jesus tells the man to arise, to take up his bed and to go home in verse 9, we'll see later, they declare he must have known how to walk at some time or another because he does just that. But we also know this scripture when Jesus says to, to people who've never walked, get up and walk, and they start laughing and leaping and help me out. Jumping and leaping and praising God. It's a song. Where's the children's ministry people? They all know that one. <laughs> what do we know for sure? He was paralyzed and he needed forgiveness for his sins. He was willing to allow his friends to bring him to Jesus. His desire for the Lord forgiveness, I think it matched and probably exceeded that of his four friends. He wanted to get there as well. He didn't protest when his four friends who had brought him to this place, everything was backed up. He didn't protest when they said, um, we're going to have to do something a little different here. We're going to have to maybe think of something else. Can you imagine that conversation they had, the four to this guy, one of them maybe just talking to him. He's there. He's, he's paralyzed. He can do nothing. He wants to get to Jesus, but he's lying there. Maybe them, I can just imagine their, their now, now friend, my dear brother, we have a little bit of a situation here. We can't even get near the door. So we're going to drop you through the roof. Oh, great. You're going to drop me through the roof. Have you ever been lowered down from anywhere or through a roof or any kind of a makeshift pallet or any? Have you ever? Some of you are shaking your head. Wow, you have. That's unique. Not many people have. Again, in my former career as in, in law enforcement, uh, I thought I needed to be on the SWAT team. So I was on the SWAT team. And, the, and as a new officer on the SWAT team, you got every ugly assignment. And one of the trainings that we had was inevitably you'd have a situation where you'd go into a place and, and one of the officers would go down. And so the youngest, newest rookie officer, he, me, we, you'd be down. You'd be lying floored, paralyzed, so to say. You'd be out and they would have to extract you or lower, in this case, lower you down from a 50-foot repelling tower down to the ground safely. Guess who got lowered down? That's a scary thing. I mean, I can relate to this guy maybe having some apprehension about being lowered through the roof before Jesus, but he does it anyways. He's, he says, I, I believe he says, yes, let's do it. Another observation about this paralytic. I believe he was, he was desperate to get to Jesus and before the eyes of Jesus, but former before this time, he had no way to do it on his own. He was paralyzed. How was he going to do that? Jesus is in town. Oh, Great. I can do nothing to get to him. But now he can. He needed a little help from his friends. And he got some help from his friends. That's another reminder to us whose sins are already forgiven, who have come before Jesus, who know him, to find our friends whose sins are not yet, who are helpless to get there and get them there. Notice in verse 5, everything which the four men desired for their friend and the paralytic desired for himself it was fulfilled and completed in the words of Jesus. He said, when we read there, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. What made the difference for those five men? What was it that made the difference? Sure, they were determined. They were smart. They were clever. It was their faith. Their faith 
made the difference. It was what broke through. The Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith is only as good as the object in whom it is placed. Now, all these things are ringing in your ears like, oh, we've heard that because Pastor Pat is still teaching. He was 11, I believe, or he has recently. And so you're in that hall of faith and you understand the great faith and what happens. And these faithful five believed Jesus could and would make a breakthrough that day for their paralytic friend. It's interesting to note that the term broken through here that we see in verse 4, it originates from the word exoruso. And you're like, well, that's Greek to me. Ex, what is exor? It is Greek, by the way. What does that mean? It means to dig out or to, to scoop out. The term signifies these men had to work hard at breaking through the roof to get their man to Jesus. The roofs that day, they were generally flat and they, they were made of a mixture of uh, leftover building material, materials and rock and maybe some mortar and maybe some, some kind of a cementing material. They would throw anything in their dirt. What, and inevitably what happened was grass would grow on top of these flat roofs. So picture that now as they're making that breakthrough. They had to work hard to get through this roof, to break through, pulling things out. Luke says there was tiles involved as well, and tiles, some of the tiles probably falling as well. But they would not be denied, for their faith was strong, for their faith was in Jesus. Again, I know you guys have been studying the Hebrews chapter 11, and, and there is recorded those actions, the actions of men and women who, because of their faith in God, they were used by God to do mighty and powerful things for His glory and recorded in His Word for eternity. And so, too, these men who came to Jesus that day, not named by any, any, by any sort, by any place, but they surely, you could have taken this passage and stuck it right into Hebrews 11 should the Holy Spirit desire to. Because there's great faith being uh, shown, being determined here. Men who are willing to grab the corner of the bed to the pallet and carry another to Jesus, believing that Jesus would make the difference. By faith, they overcame a logistical challenge and brought the paralyzed to Jesus. By faith, they broke through that which hindered them. There's a question for us. Are we looking for a way to break through to get people to Jesus? By faith, they presented their friend to Jesus. Am I presenting my lost friend to Jesus? How can I see this and a question comes up in my, and it burns in my heart. So if, if the same is true for you, let the Holy Spirit just work that out. How can I come to church each week and bring no one to Jesus? How can we do? We, we know that Jesus is the answer. We know that he makes miraculously changes, miraculous changes in people's life. We know that he's the difference in, to everything for everyone. How about what the paralytic, how about him sitting on that bed? Maybe there's some, someone here today who's in that condition. You've been brought to this place. You're just busy and you're like, wow, what's this guy talking about? Paralyzed. And, and you're starting to realize, man, I'm a lot like that guy on that bed. There's been sin in my life that's caused me to be paralyzed. And, I, and I'm done with it. And I'm, and I'm tired of it. it your, your life is paralyzed by sin and you desire that breakthrough. And you, you just maybe need a little help from your friends as well. By the way, you're not going to find a more friendly bunch than those who sit around you right now. 
Jesus appreciates and he awards great faith in him. Jesus, we see from the passage, seeing their faith in verse 5, he forgave the paralytic man. Forgiveness was granted to the paralytic and it was celebrated, I'm sure, by the four friends. When Jesus sees your faith in him, he always rewards your faith with his forgiveness. Jesus always rewards faith in him with forgiveness. Not everyone in the house was pleased with this breakthrough, by the way. Notice now, beginning in verse 6, there were all sorts of reactions to what the men did and what Jesus said, but, but not all were favorable toward what had just happened in that place. By the way, how, how do you think Jesus felt about what was going on during his sermon as these men interrupted what he was, as he was preaching? How do you think he felt about that? Watching little things fall from the ceiling little by little as he's preaching the Word of God, knowing what's going on. I'm thinking a big smile comes across his face. He just he keeps preaching. And finally, there's a place where it's just so disruptive. He stands there just waiting for the guy to come down, just smile. On, that's, that's the way I see him. Because that's the, that's the heart of the Lord, appreciating that great faith coming to him. And he forgives the man's sin. Can you imagine someone tearing off the roof of this place during our meeting just to get to Jesus? We would love it, wouldn't we? Do you real, I, I don't know if we really appreciate what's happening in that house. People, as this is happening, as Jesus spoke those words, this house is, is, is now filled with excitement. The, I mean, particles and stuff flying everywhere. There's dust everywhere. There's people probably coughing, reaching for their handkerchiefs, trying to co cover their mouth. Jesus just forgave the sins of this sorry sinner, and, and everyone is on their feet, and they're excited, and everyone except for one party. Notice in verse 6, the scribes just sat there. The scribes just sat there. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Are you kidding me? Seriously? You're going to just sit there when all this is happening? Jesus was preaching the Word of God. The roof had been ripped open. Debris was flying everywhere and on everyone. The man was lowered down on this pallet. That was tenuous in itself. He's lowered down perfectly right. It doesn't fall off. He stays on the pallet. Jesus forgives his sins. He's, he's healed. And, the, the, and all this is happening. And religious, and religious people that just sat there. I think probably just brushing off the dust waiting for when this interruption is going to be over, probably occupying the best seats in the house as kind of was their way, and it was their demand of the time. They had to have the best seats. And they, I think they probably just sat in the, in the pomp and circumstance of who they were. causes me to think of the words of Jesus elsewhere regarding, regarding religion and their seats as he's pronouncing these woes upon them for their rejection of him as the Son of God and God the Son. He said in Luke 11, verse 43, he said, Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The sad truth of uh, what we see from the religious rulers in the house that day, the sad truth is that which rejects Jesus even, is even, though there, even though there may be an incredible breakthrough and sins forgiven in a person's life by faith, faith in Jesus Christ, excuse me, the, the sad truth is they just sit there. They just sit there, and they simply don't care about those things. And now, before we start beating up on the scribes and the Pharisees, easy to do, isn't it? 
They're always an easy mark. There's a target, oh, yeah, terrible. They're religious, you know, it's easy to be. Before we do that, let me propose to you today that we, we can be just as pharisaical and much like the scribes as they were. Let me propose from this scripture that if we're not among those who are doing anything and everything to bring our friends to Jesus, if we're not among those who are, on, who are now on their feet in amazement because of what Jesus has done for giving sinners, if, if we're not glorifying God in all of it, we might just find ourselves sitting right next to a scribe, brushing off the dust, unmoved by all that we have just seen, unmoved by great faith which brought about great forgiveness. That's a seat I do not wish to occupy. That's a seat I don't believe any of you wish to occupy. It's a seat which any person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ should not occupy. Notice again in verse 6 and then into verse 7, as the scribes were just sitting there, they were also reasoning in their hearts against Jesus and against the faith that was just placed in Jesus. Verse 7, we see the questions they say, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? What are the blasphemies they are they referring to? He just forgave the sins of a sinner. To them, that's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. They had it right on the mark. No one can. They're absolutely right on that. And Jesus, being God, forgave sins. They just couldn't, couldn't put those two together. They wouldn't put those two together. And that's the fatal error of scribes of this day and religion as a whole against Jesus. Besides just sitting there while others rise and rejoice for what he has done and what he is doing, they reason in their wicked hearts against him. They, they reason against sinners coming to Jesus for forgiveness. They reason against Jesus forgiving sins. They reason against Jesus being God himself, and he is. They see him only as a man. How many conversations or how many times have you heard a conversation where people say, oh, yeah, Jesus was just a nice guy. He's, he was just a man. He's just like any. How many people have heard that or been told that? Are you about sick of hearing that? <laughs> not to be, you know, not to be untoward, but uh, yeah, that, that just, I mean, that doesn't sit well with me. And it's, he is not just like any other man. He never was. He is not. He is God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There is none like him. There is no name above his name alone. He's not just a, another guy. But what the scribes did, they rejected him as so. It's, and they were doing it within their hearts. They didn't even speak a word. And it's really no wonder that they just sat there with this kind of thinking going on. And I appreciate the way Jesus would not let them rest in the realms of their reasonings in their own wicked hearts. Notice beginning in verse 8. Jesus, using the gifts of knowledge and discernment among others of the Holy Spirit, He called them out. Not to condemn them. It's easy to do, isn't it? But we don't want to do that. Jesus didn't condemn them. Not to condemn them, but to call them to repentance as well. Reading from verse 8, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? You know, we, we can read that like, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? You, you can read it with that kind of inflection. That, that's not it. That's not, I, I think Jesus said, what? There's There's grace. There's love. There's a desire for them to come to Him to see the truth. They, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise and take up your bed 
and walk. Jesus poses an intriguing question to the scribes here, one of which, if answered, would, acknowledge, would have acknowledged it much easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiving you, for there would be not necessarily be an outward manifestation of that. So he could say, hey, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, doesn't really, I can't really see that. There's nothing really to show that. However, to say as Jesus did, arise, take your bed and walk, well, that was the most difficult thing to say in this scenario because it was, had to happen. If Jesus be God and his sins be forgiven, that would need to happen in the presence of all these people in that house. But because Jesus desired even the scribes to understand and desire and receive forgiveness themselves, he made it plain who he was and what he had done. They, again, they said rightly in their condemnation of Jesus in verse 7 that only God can forgive sins. Spot on. They were right on in that. So Jesus, showing himself to them once more as God, he said it plainly in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the par paralytic, All right, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Within the words of Jesus in verse 10 is contained the purpose of Jesus coming from glory, the glory of heaven to earth. It's all right there. The words in verse 10 were spoken not only for the scribes, but for all mankind of all time. And the words of Jesus provided the conclusion to this account of faith, which was presented toward him and before him in the paralytic and his friends. For look with me at the results of faith breaking through to Jesus in verse 12. Immediately, that is the he, that's the paralytic, immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out of the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What happens when friends overcome seemingly insurmountable obstructions to get people, to get their friends in front of Jesus? What happens when faith breaks through to Christ? What happens when people place their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? What happens when people understand Jesus is God come from heaven? Well, the scribes and the skeptics are still silent. Never said a word. But sins are forgiven. Paralytics rise up. Formerly paralyzed sinners who could never obey and didn't know how to obey the words of Jesus can now obey the words of Jesus. He gets up, he picks up his pallet, and he goes home. A home which may have not been the same before he left it and would not be the same when he returned to it. People are amazed. God is glorified. And the eyes are opened to Jesus. Eyes are opened to Jesus we never saw anything like this. Compared to Jesus, there really isn't anything else to see, is there? Is there? There really isn't anything else to see. Because Jesus loves every person ever. Because Jesus always rewards great faith in Him with His great forgiveness. Because Jesus has the power and the authority as Son of God and God the Son. We can know He is able and worthy and willing to forgive sins. He has the power to forgive sins. He is God who alone can forgive sins. Do you know the forgiveness which comes only from Jesus Christ today? Are your sins forgiven? Forgiveness comes from Jesus alone who died on the cross 
for the sins of the world, that we might believe in Him and that we might come to Him. The Bible records that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. If you have never come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you can do that today by placing your faith in Jesus. No need to come through the roof. You're already here. The Bible teaches us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him up from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. If you're the person today here in this room, like the paralytic today, you can place your faith in Jesus. You can trust Him with your life by a prayer to Him. And I don't know this crowd. I'm sure you're a blessed group. There, there might be someone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus. And I would feel, I would feel like, like I've done a disservice to the Lord if we did not give that person the opportunity. So would you pray with me in the next few moments? If you're that person like the paralytic, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you, you place your faith in Him today, would you pray this prayer or something along? This isn't the only prayer. It's just one that... Uh, that, that has I, I suggest to you today. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, shed His blood on the cross at Calvary. He died for my sins, and now I'm willing to turn from my sins. You said in your word that if I confess you as Lord and God and believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, I will be saved. Right now I confess Jesus as Lord with all my soul, with my heart. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you for your grace, which has saved me from my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and giving me eternal life. Amen.